We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? Welcome in. Comprehensive breakdown day from the Browns 24-20 loss to the Seahawks. You get all the information from the game, key data points, player performance, the stuff you're used to. Before I get to that, though, we get an opener with Andrew Spade centered around Kevin Stefanski's press conference, the big moments in the game, and then what's looming ahead for the Browns the way we always do. So hang out, join us, spend an hour with me here on the OBR Film Breakdown. Let's get started on the latest episode right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Tuesday podcast. That means we get an opening with Andrew Spade. We are uh, always kind of dancing a delicate line after losses because I don't know whether to paint this thing as too positive or too negative, and that's probably just the business we're in and um, the difficulty that comes with it. But the Browns are 4-3, and and there's still some optimism that you should have, right? We're trying to make sure that we cover that as thoroughly as possible because there are some games laying ahead here that they have a real chance to win, and we'll talk about that later in the week. But for now, we break down what happened yesterday and then what we heard from Kevin Stefanski in his brief time with the media today sort of paired all together, right? So 24 hours removed from the game, sort of, Andrew. It's a, We're recording a little earlier, but I would ask you where you're at on Kevin. I had tweeted today I thought it was a masterclass game from calling perspective with the exception of one decision. Um, I think that can be argued. I think some people can have a, a, an issue with that. Uh, and again, that's 17 points. So it's hard to sit here and be like, well, it wasn't a 40 burger or something. Right. But I think that the level of the defense that Seattle has to put together a plan that put his team in a good position down his two best players on offense. I thought it was really good. I thought it was really good. So I still feel like it was one of his better called games. Obviously sitting there, the low hanging fruit is the only call that people want to talk about is the very end to which again we covered on the show last night i understand but 24 hours later how do you feel about all of it well i i think the the first thing i would say jake is that i think it's very hard um to uh try and you know kind of walk down the middle here but i think that's where we got to be because i think that you know you you definitely can take an issue with that call and I, I think it was the wrong decision to throw rather than run the ball there um i i really like their chances of getting three yards uh even if they had to go for it on fourth down i, I think that's the way you want to play that situation get on the other side of the two-minute warning 
uh, put a little bit more pressure on the Seahawks. I, I you know, I, momentum in sports is a hard thing to talk about, but it felt very clear to me that the Browns were really dictating to the Seattle defense in that situation. And the turnover changed that completely, right? Because then, you know, the, the Browns defense comes on the field and it just kind of felt a little bit deflating. It honestly felt like a fait accompli that they were going to at least give up the field goal. And, uh, you know, I, I said that out loud, I was watching it with my dad and I said, you know, at this point I'm, I, I can't, you know, I, I think I said, I think it was when they first got into the red zone. I said, I can't believe they're going to lose this game. And he's like, wait, what are you talking about? They haven't kicked a field goal yet. I was like, no, you can just tell like the way that where I know where this is headed, you know? So I think, you know, th- yeah, that call you got to criticize him for, but I, to your point also, I think it was probably his best coached game as a play caller of the year uh, in terms of just kind of putting the team in position to be successful, considering the the lack of talent that they have at quarterback right now. Uh, you know, that's a really difficult environment on the road. We talked about that before the game, a lot of noise, um, you know, when they start to feel it, their defense gets really amped up and aggressive. So screens are a great way to take advantage of that. He did a really good job of mixing that stuff in. I mean, that one drive that was what I think all screens or something like that. I mean, that was, you know, it was, it was, it was like three plays. They went right down the field and that was the point at which the game felt like it was spiraling out of control. So I think he deserves a ton of credit for, you know, the thing that I've noticed about him that has changed over the years is that he has, he's, he's always got a few arrows in his quiver that he saves and he, he doesn't use them early. He uses them late in situations where he needs a go-to play. And I, you know, I thought that, that, drive with the screens was an example of that he's like well if we don't score a touchdown here this thing's over so here we go here's here's my silver bullets right so yeah I want to kind of try and be in the middle because I'm not gonna try and defend everything there because I think that last call was so bad but I also don't think it makes any sense to to after giving him credit against the 49ers and the Colts for kind of finding a way to win those games I don't think it makes a ton of sense to just you know go hard the other direction and say you know, he lost them this game because I really don't think that's the case. I think you can have nuance to all of this where you can say, quite obviously, we appreciate everything he did early in the game throughout the large portion of the game, but also understand at the same time, we don't feel that he made the right call at the end. And we do also feel there's a bigger picture issue here. A couple things that you said that are spot on, the saving plays, arrows, right? I think that that is very well put. I think he's done a better job of that. I, the only thing I wish that I could start to see a little bit more are a few more route-based tendency breakers where he has some some very rigid calls from 2x2 two two and 3x1 he wants to go to. If he had more tendency-breaking opportunities that he had installed, such as if you go read the article I wrote on the 3rd and 3 interception, they're running a slant with, a, with an under route behind it. They like to run that slant flat and the other side of that, the slant with the under route underneath it that they tried to throw to Amari. If you simply send him on what's called a pivot where he sells, he puts the foot down inside like he's running that under route and then pivots back to the sideline. I guarantee that based on leverage, that's an easy first down. Now I'll give them some credit. They ran a sluggo a little bit earlier on that drive, three plays earlier. I just would like more of it because I think teams have a really good feel uh, Andrew, for what past concepts he wants to call in critical moments. And I wish there was just a little bit more flexibility that maybe you go to the sideline and you call a timeout and you know that Amari is going to be the focal point of what you're doing here. Hey, Amari, instead of running the under route, run what's called, you know, run a pivot, right? Pivot back to the sideline. You just needed four yards. Like yeah. it wasn't, 
it wasn't an overwhelming distance. So, and, and again, a lot of things could still go wrong with that. There's the conversation about running. We're not getting away from that. But the bigger point here is on third and threes or less, we'll jump right into this. I know there was some, some stuff we want to talk about. We'll kind of shift our schedule around here. But third and three or less, Kevin threw the ball seven out of nine times in this game. So, Andrew, it remains very clear to me, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. He wants to trust his quarterback and play a very specific way. Yeah. I also tweeted today that the Browns have found themselves from an EPA per dropback metric in empty this year. They're 30th. Okay. Two teams are behind them. New Orleans, Baltimore. The Browns are yet second in attempts from empty. They're 66 there. The only team in front of them is Miami, who's in the 70s. So they're doing something. One of the highest rates in the NFL that they're one of the worst teams at doing. Now, most of the passing metrics are going to tell you that right now because they're they're pretty awful throwing the right. football for the most part. But there clearly is an unwillingness from Kevin to move away from what he is and what he knows, even if it's a different quarterback, right? So he's still placing faith in P.J. Walker in the biggest moments, those third and shorts, despite what I thought yesterday was a pretty efficient run game. So the question is like, is he afraid of using four downs the way he, he really was early in his career, very aggressive in treating those third downs, like setting up for a fourth down. We got two plays. Cause that's what I thought was going to happen on mm -hmm. that final drive, two plays for three yards. So, and it still could have, they could have thrown an incompletion and still gone for it. Who knows? I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead of that one, but I just think what's interesting to me is the amount of faith he's still putting in his quarterback when it's PJ Walker tells me he just like, I don't, I actually don't even know what it tells me. Does it tell me that he, he can't change his style. He can't change his beliefs. Or does it tell me that he's just craving a quarterback that can get it done? I don't know, man. I just find it wild that on all of those short yardage situations with a pretty good short yardage back in Kareem, that they were unwilling to, to even, balance that out toward the 50 percent mark so i don't know i'm asking you kind of to respond to that but, yeah. I, but i think that like as we look at the future of this thing pj walker wasn't kevin didn't commit to pj walker early in the week whether deshaun is a part of things or not well last week I, i'm pretty sure he said pj will start if deshaun can't go so he's not committing to pj at all today which tells me he doesn't believe in how he's playing and to your point andrew the quarterback turnover stuff is off the charts and they're still placing all this faith in PJ over the last two weeks, three weeks, yeah, to be the guy. So it's interesting. Yeah, let's 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 talk about Stefanski first, and then we'll get into the quarterback stuff. Um, I I think, you know, the the thing that I f I feel most confident about when you're trying to look at big picture stuff with Stefanski, not digging in on this one game, but big picture stuff, is that he is a, he has convictions about what he thinks works and. There are games where he is right and dead on. And the Seattle game was an example of that. He had an idea of what would work against this defense, and he was right. And so that makes him look like one of the best play callers in the league. When he has one of these games where he's got a defense dialed up, the Browns offense can look unstoppable. When he's wrong, the Browns offense can look unwatchable. You, you flash back to, to the 21 and 22 games against the New England Patriots. Sometimes, you know, against the Steelers. If the if the Steelers are on to their stuff, they, they've, they've looked really bad against the Steelers at times. Uh, you know, whereas with the Bengals, he seems to have the Bengals dialed up every time they play, right? So 
what what that tells me, if you zoom out, what you learn about it is that I think there's a little bit of inflexibility. Now that can be good, right? Because if you have an idea of what you like and you know how to get to what you like and you can find ways to get, you know, get David Njoku the ball on screens that are unique every time, that's an that's an asset to keep going back to those. But if you, if your inflexibility is keeping you from adapting away from some things that you need to adapt away from, I, I go immediately to where they're at with play action this year. It's not working and they keep running it. Where they're at with like rollout concepts, boot concepts, that, you know, that every time PJ Walker runs a, a, a bootleg, there's a guy standing in front of him as soon as he completes his, his boot. You know, as soon as that action, he turns around, it's like, hey, how are you? You know, it's a, it's a meeting. Um, some of the, some of the wide zone, um, edge, you know, uh, horizontal run concepts, whether it's end arounds or reverses, uh, you know, some of those pitch plays, a lot of that stuff has felt to the point of almost stubborn. Right. And so I see it both ways. I see it as a strength and a weakness, but that's what I see most is this is our fourth year with this guy as the head coach. You start to get pretty comfortable with what the guy likes and I think what, you know, that we've seen him with a bunch of different quarterbacks. We've seen him in a bunch of different situations. There's stuff that he likes and he's going to keep doing that stuff. And whether they are out there with Deshaun Watson or Baker Mayfield or PJ Walker or Jacoby Brissett, the offense to me feels, I, I you know, I mean, this is just me p- picking a number out of the air, but 80%, 90% the same, right? He's got an identity and he's not going to change his stripes. So the question off of that is how do they fix it? Is there a path to fixing it, Andrew? Because... Like you mentioned to me before we started, 14 of 17 turnovers have been driven by the quarterback this year. So, and that's, you know, quarterbacks are going to be the lion's share of the turnover guys. They, they have the football the most, but it's jarring that, you know, if you look at their losses this year, I mean, 17 turnovers through eight weeks is an ungodly number, but the the amount of, of, of turnovers in these games, these close games has been, considering how good the defense is, so jarring to think about where they could be. Obviously, I, I mean, listen, you don't have the turnover issues yesterday. You don't have the turnovers in Pittsburgh. You're six and one. What is the record, right? Maybe six yep, and one. That would be it. So, you know, turnovers have cost them in games. They've been able to overcome them in others. But the question sits here that says, okay, and, you know, turnovers could have cost them in two other games, too. The San Francisco game, an interception directly leads to the turnover that gives San Francisco the lead. Obviously, we know what turnovers did to them in Indy. So we're not glossing over wins where also turnovers are still involved, but they have been able to find a way to overcome it, but you cannot count on that moving forward. And a little part of the information that we found out on Sunday during the game from Pam Oliver is that IR for Deshaun Watson isn't out the window. They They have not ruled ruled it out. out. That was the language. They have not ruled it out. So if that hasn't been ruled out, you're not committing to PJ Walker the way you usually have. There's two options. You were either trading for Jacoby Brissett or you're starting DTR again, which getting him on the field this past Sunday for a little shovel flip play, maybe that's an indicator that they want to get him comfortable playing again. So I guess the question is, are you doing that? Are you going to find a way to get Jacoby Brissett? Are you playing Dorian Thompson Robinson? What do you feel comfortable with doing right now? Like, cause that that's two huge things lingering out there. The Watson IR possibility and not yeah. committing to PJ Walker. Cause you're f- clearly frustrated with what he's doing. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think they the way that I feel about it is they probably felt like they couldn't go away from P.J. if they were going to keep winning football games, right? So if they pull the game off in Seattle, he gets the start against Arizona because how do you pull a guy that's 3-0, and right? Like, that just doesn't feel fair. 
he loses the game, you know, I mean, they lose the game, but he's, you know, pretty directly responsible for it in a lot of ways. Uh, I think you have to look at DTR this week from the standpoint that the Arizona team is a, is one of the most, you know, vulnerable defenses in the league. And the Baltimore team that DTR faced the first time out is one of the best defenses in the league. Right. So from, from a confidence standpoint for that player, for the long-term development of that player and for figuring out what you have in that player, seeing him again this year would, would feel pretty good, I think. And so that makes sense to me to give him the full week of practice. If they are going to do what they did last week and rule out Watson on Wednesday and give all the first team reps to a quarterback, I would actually prefer that quarterback to be Dorian Thompson Robinson this week to PJ Walker. Now I'll just throw in, I don't think that the Browns are going to make a trade for a quarterback because it doesn't feel, you know, Kevin was asked about the trade deadline today. He said he likes his football team. He has been throughout his entire run here. I just talked about it. This is his fourth season. He's a, he loves his guys coach, right? He is not interested in guys outside the organization. When they bring in guys outside the organization, it takes them weeks to play them. Pierre Strong is the most recent example, right? Like they, you know, all the way back to 2000, they 2020, I should say, they traded for Ronnie Harrison at the end of the preseason. It took him, I think, five, six weeks to get on the field. They are slow integrating players from outside the organization, especially during the season. So I don't think the Browns will do it. If I was wearing Andrew Berry's tailored three-piece suit, I would make the call. I would be knocking down the door for Jacoby Brissett. I, I'm not trying to talking about mortgaging the future or anything like that. I'm not going to let you know the, the other team take advantage. But if there is a trade to be made, I want that quarterback back in the building. And the turnover thing is exactly why, right? He played 11 games last year for last year for the Browns, and he was responsible for seven turnovers. So this is uh, I wrote a column about this. You can check the column out on at the OBR. But you know, this is maybe not the best methodology here. But if you substitute Brissett's 2022 turnover rate into the Browns' offense over the first seven weeks, instead of 17 turnovers, they have eight. You know, it's it's a it's a sea change, right? You're talking about less than half as many turnovers over seven and the, games. And the offense hasn't been that much different. Let me just be very clear about that. exactly. It hasn't been so. It's not like he couldn't have figured it out. The, it's confusing to me where they go from here because we have no answer on Deshaun. We have no answer on whether they want to actually make a trade. If they do make a trade, it doesn't feel like, I mean, it's too late. They made a trade today or tomorrow. That, that quarterback's not starting on Sunday. That be no. could happen. We've seen it happen, but it's not very likely. So DTR maybe is the route. I'm not sure. But th- the thing that we do know, and this is not deep analysis here, but the the quarterback turnover stuff is 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 crippling them. And that's not to say that PJ Walker didn't make some throws in that game. He did, but much like we're saying, Kevin has his day erased by one decision. I don't care if DTR makes twelve great throws if you turn it over three times. Yeah, you are just wiping out the goodwill, and that's and especially yeah. crippling because. If you look at it, Andrew, the first one, imagine that they just kick a field. That ball, exactly. Again, it's very weird play. But if that ball lands on the ground, you kick a field goal. And in that last end of the game scenario, the Browns are just trying to drive to kick another field goal to make it a nine-point game instead of, you know, feeling like you have to ice it away. Throughout. You're up six for a majority of that fourth quarter instead of 
chasing a touchdown because yeah. going up six at that time means literally nothing, right? So right. it just changes your frame of mind. Much like I think the frame of mind changes for the Seattle team going from, you know, I, I've seen people make this argument, Andrew. Well, you know, they just got it at the 40-yard line. It, the, the energy, the momentum, and getting the ball at the 40-yard line is different than even just getting it at the 20 and feeling like you have to go down and score yeah. a touch. And it changes mm-hmm. the way the play callers attack it too Yes, to, to the point where they're just chasing a field goal at that moment. When you get it at the 43-yard line or whatever, yeah, you're, you're thinking, we're going, we're going jugular. We're yeah. going touchdown seeking. Yeah. And they so, did. you know, I think the question has to be asked about the defense as we close here. Like, where are we sitting on defense blame for this game? Because, boy, is it a tale of two two sides here. Like, you know, two halves, really. So, it actually wasn't. It was a tale of, like, <laughs> a quarter and an in possession. Because they held them yeah. really well in between. So, like... The thing is, and I've seen people make this justification. Well, teams are scheming them up early in drives, and then they're they're adjusting to the early game thing teams are doing and finding some answers. Well, that you're down seventeen nothing in the first quarter, so it was fourteen nothing, then seventeen seven. It with this offense, you can't live that way. Now they have found some answers, and they came back in the last two games, but. You can't tell me that it's okay to just give up opening drive touchdowns to opposing teams and then adjust off. I'm glad they're adjusting and figuring out some answers to stonewall some teams in in, in key moments. But, like, I'm sure you, like me, Andrew, are thinking these early game struggles are going to cost them any chance to win some other games when they play serious, serious opponents. And not, not that Seattle's not. I think Seattle's a little bit of fool's gold at five and two, largely because I don't believe in how Geno's playing, which is not very good. But when you look at teams like you're going to get the Ravens, the Bengals are getting hot. You definitely have those two. The the Jaguars are six and two, right? There are real teams coming down the line here. You can't just go down 14, nothing and presume that the way this offense is playing, they're going to be able to fight out of that hole. So the defense isn't. And again, I think you and I have been on this for a while. They're not historic. They're good. Mm-hmm. Not historic, but like they're also getting a pass on some things that don't feel fair to me, right? Like the last two games, sorry, two of the last, actually three of the last three have all come down to them making mistakes at the end of games when they had a chance to end it right, on their side. Yep. So it's, um, it's just, it's noteworthy. I'm, I'm not, we're all looking to blame the blame pie thing. I get it. it. I'm not sitting here saying the defense cost them yesterday. They're just not seizing opportunities, maybe. Let's put it that way. If you want to be a great defense, I'm sure the internal discussion is we have to rise to the moment in those big, big moments, right? Rise to it, meet it, overcome. Because how great would it have been if the defense found a way to get a stop yesterday and you won despite the the situation on offense, which is what they've done sort of at times this year. So I don't know. I'm rambling a little bit, man, but it's hard to be like upset with this defense because of at times the way they have helped out the, the indie game, the way they ended up helping out, right? Getting points on the board themselves. And in this one, the huge stretch in the middle to the end of the game, really, where they didn't allow anything to happen. But it does feel like in those clutch moments, they're not meeting it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot like the Kevin Stefanski conversation that we started with, right? It's not one way or the other. It's not black or white. It's gray, you know. And and what has been frustrating about this Brown season so far is that there hasn't been clarity. Uh, you know, where, where we thought there was clarity about the defense through the first three weeks and they seemed like a historic unit. 
I think since then the results have been much more mixed um, from Baltimore on. And so they have struggled at times. They have not played like even a good defense at times. They have, you know, some of the stuff that they've given up has been pretty soft, in my opinion, in terms of bad angles on tackling, not wrapping up. Uh, you know, you you mentioned this a little bit on last night's show, not rushing in a, in a disciplined way so that there's not contain on the pocket and guys are able to sneak out and make a play, you know, in a, in a secondary manner. That's, that's stuff that they should be able to fix. That's, you know, they're too good talent-wise to have those sorts of, easy mistakes. And that feels very reminiscent of last year's team. So those are the criticisms. The plus side is that they have made plays in a lot of games that have swung the momentum of the game. They've created points. They've prevented the other team from scoring points. They deserve a ton of credit. There's no way this team is four and three with the way they've turned the ball over on offense. There's no way this team is four and three with anything other than one of the best defenses in the league. But you know, by DVOA, they are no, are no longer the best defense in the league. Baltimore surpassed them this week. And so, you know, good good chance they look pretty good against Arizona, I think, based on the talent mismatch there. But then they are going to be up against it in Baltimore against Lamar in two weeks. And I think they've – so the way I look at it is they've got two weeks to kind of fix some of these tackling issues, some of these rush issues that have started to creep in the next the last few days. I think it'll be interesting to see, talking about the trade deadline, if they feel compelled to add another piece. Uh, because, you know, the pass rush has been – an area that has been whispered about. And people say, well, do they need another pass rusher? And I would say, I don't know that you can have too many, right? Because with Zedaria Smith picking up a knock yesterday against the Seahawks, uh, Miles Garrett is playing a ton of snaps again because they're not rotating as much as they were earlier in the season. And and you look at what pressure is being put on this defense, I I would welcome another pass rusher to that to that unit or another defensive tackle in that rotation. I th- you know They haven't really been using Shelby Harris as much. So I think that there are that it's fair to ask questions about this defense, and it's also fair to expect the defense to improve and and answer some of those questions. So again, not black or white. It's great. They're good, but they're not uh, error free. They have weaknesses. Yeah. So it's complementary stuff. If if they can figure out a way to play complementary football where they don't turn it over, the biggest thing I'm asking of the offense, and I'm sure you're with me, Andrew. Stop turning the dang ball over. Just stop with that. Yeah. If you it, stop with that, there's mm-hmm. a chance that this rectifies itself organically. Well, because go ahead. Well, it's just especially because of you know it's something you mentioned last night a lot, and I think it's it's something we haven't really talked about here. The run game seems to be coming together. They had a really impressive run game yesterday against a good run defense. So if that continues, then the big weakness on the offense, as you just said, is the turnover issue because you're going to be able to move the ball. So you stopped in for a little optimism. We gave that to you stopped in for a little criticism. We gave that to you as well. I think that's the sort of focal point of where the Browns are right now. And what a record like four and three tells you they're doing a little more good than bad, but not quite enough good to be among the elite, the best in the, in the conference and the best in, in the division. And it's tough because you're watching the Ravens push to six and two and play some of the best football in the NFL right now, which is making the division all the harder to dream about. So Listen, there's going to be a lot of news this week. There's going to be a lot of things covered. We don't know the quarterback situation, which obviously drives so much of the conversation. There are some key injuries that are looming out there that the Browns are determined not to give any information about until Wednesday, it seems, which is ungodly frustrating. But nevertheless, we'll figure out more later in the week. But for now, I think we covered everything we can based loosely off the game film and some of the conversation points from last night. And then, like I said, we'll continue to do so throughout the rest of the week. So, Andrew, thanks for stopping by, buddy. Always appreciate it, man. Um, I know that uh, he 
takes some time. He does a lot of digging, does some great work for the OBR, and then takes his time to come over here to the pod and split some time with me. So always appreciate that. And then we will um, jump into the rest of the comprehensive breakdown. Just, uh, just a moment. We're going to hear a quick word from our sponsors, and we'll get to that. So we'll catch up in just a minute. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals. And their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hype for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view, which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money. Right, It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that GameTime app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. 
All right, now we get to the comprehensive breakdown. We're going to start, let's start with the offense. So 63 snaps and 11 personnel, continuing the trend of high volume of 11 personnel. Three snaps of 12 personnel, one snap, plus actually an additional 7 and 13 where they brought in an extra offensive lineman. So quite a few of those heavy sets. They bring Nick Harrison, they bring James Hudson in, and then one snap of 0-1 personnel with Elijah Moore in the backfield. Actually pretty good split of usage between their running backs we talked about that in previous episodes all in which you try to get those guys into their best situations obviously like that Uh, on offense again 40 snaps of motion that's a little bit of an uptick for them I like the motion usage they're getting a little bit more creative with that so definitely enjoying it the inside split zone stuff this is the highest number we've seen they paired some read option with it we saw 10 snaps of that and they were pretty good all but two of those runs included a positive EPA So that is the highest uptick. You know how much I love inside zone. It was really nice to see the Browns have that, have split zone in their pocket, use it to uh, you know maneuver the clock late in the game. I still would have preferred to have seen that on third down, as you all know, but that's already been covered in Aussie. They only ran four uh, outside zone reps. That's the lowest number they've had in any game this year. Now that's largely because the Seahawks play a very, you know, I think they're tough to run outside on, tough to run on in general, but they, they make it real difficult to, with the range of those linebackers, Wagner and Brooks, to push the ball laterally so not surprised by that but hopefully that is a continuing trend where they're using less of those right counter power was really disappointing they only had one positive vpa run of six usages largely from the gun got to get better at that they did run pull lead and sweeps right pen pulls as you like to hear them called 10 times and those were successful 65 to 70 percent of the time so uh, pretty good run game diversity now in this game the seahawks were pretty balanced they played man coverage 16 times cover 422 cover six one time sorry six times in cover six quarter quarter half there and then two reps uh sorry one rep of cover two and 35 of cover three the browns on the field for a significant number of snaps right so uh the the offensive line gives you the full number because uh pj walker left the field for a play for dtr but 78 snaps is what's recorded now you got some penalties mixed in there some no plays but that's the recorded number so your high group there at 40 you're sorry sorry 78 for your core four and then you lost Dewan Jones for a little bit. He played 42. James Hudson played 41. That includes the 10 additional, um, you know, extra offensive lineman reps that, that Hudson was playing there. Otherwise, Donovan Peoples-Jones plays 65 snaps. Doesn't have a single catch. I don't even think he had a target. So he's just running around out there. Elijah Moore, 64. And Donovan blocks well. But you, you the, the mystery of where that's going and what's happened to a guy who had nearly 900 receiving yards last year, that role is just not even being used. Now, some of it's quarterback-driven. But it's wild how little production they're getting from someone who's on the field that much. Elijah Moore, 64 snaps. Amari Cooper, 63. Njoku, 61. Kareem Hunt, 27. Jerome Ford, 26. Pierre Strong, 24. So a very even split there. Harrison Bryant gets on the field for 24 reps. Okay, Uh, Quarterback stats. Looking at P.J. Walker, his second lowest grade. He graded out worse than this one than the Indy game, but better than the 49ers game, which was was really rough. So two turnover-worthy plays as he's charted for. They actually, I'm not sure which one they didn't because he had three turnovers. So I'm not sure if they're saying the ball that goes off the helmet is not a turnover-worthy play, I guess. One big-time throw. I think it was a cover two-hole shot up the left sideline. 41.6 passing grade, 8.8 A dot. So uh, about on par with what he's been. Uh, Nothing else to add off this one. So let's go to... Um, our next one over, which is looking kind of more in the nitty-gritty details. When he was kept clean, he was 10 of 18 for 166 and in an interception. 
He was under pressure, 5 of 13, 82 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Not blitzed, 10 of 22, 165. When he was blitzed, 5 of 9, 83 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. So mixed results, right? Worst grades when he was under pressure and worst grades when he was not blitzed. So um, tough to see total correlation there. The play action stuff was really bad. Two of nine, 59 yards. He did have one touchdown off of play action, though, so there is that. But, again, two of nine for 59, that's just not quite enough. The touchdowns, the Njoku ball up the middle, which is really scheme design. The teams are really covering a lot of boot action stuff the Browns are doing are wasted downs because they're getting next to nothing from them. Non-play action, he was 13 of 22 for 189 and two interceptions. The screen stuff was 5 of 5 for 105. So if you take the screens designed easy, you know, those are pretty simple. Now he has to do some skill-based stuff. Kind of got to release it at the right moment. Sometimes change the arm angles. I don't want to take everything away from him. But screens are generally designed plays, right? Not necessarily quarterback skill. You take those out, guys. He was 10 of 26, 143. And they give you the touchdown and then Joku. But that was, again, a, a fake double screen tight end delay. So that's that's a part of screen, too. I mean, you take those 18 yards out of it, it gets even more bleak. There's just a general lack of downfield passing from P.J. Walker. So discouraging there. And really, again, when you, you talk about leaving so much on the plate, Walker just not meeting the standard, and the standard is low. So, you know, <laughs> that's why he's not being named the starter right now for the week ahead. Grades-wise, Njoku gets an 86.8, including four of seven catches, 77 yards. Sorry, four of seven targets he caught. Uh, the touchdown as well. I thought he was exceptional in this game. He had uh, three snaps out wide, 12 in the slot, 19 in line. Good variation. Kareem Hunt caught his target for 12 yards. Amari Cooper was really good in this one again. He had one drop I thought he should have caught, but six of 11 and 89 yards. Seahawks are sitting on the back shoulder stuff. That's not his fault. That's got to be something that the quarterback can identify and come off that read. But again, 27 snaps out wide, lived mostly out there. He had eight snaps in the slot. Elijah Moore had 21 slot snaps, 15 out wide. Would still like that to be a little closer to even. He had a 57.2 receiving grade, catching two of five. Jordan Akins catches his one target for six. Jerome Ford catches a target for two, even though one screen he caught got called back. Harrison Bryant had a chance in the left corner of the end zone, but the ball was overthrown. Not much on the receiving front, right? Only 16 true catches, so not great there. Uh, moving forward, looking at run game stuff, Kareem Hunt had the highest run grade. He had, again, 14 carries, 55 yards, a touchdown. Between the group, only one missed tackle force. Jerome Ford was able to miss one, make one miss. I'd like to see the rush yards over expected. I don't think it would be very encouraging, but you did find ways to create run lanes and run alleys that were creating the four or five-yard run efficiency that I'm craving, right? And I thought they were all pretty fine. You know, Ford gets a 62 grade, 9 carries, 37 yards. Pierre Strong gets 10 of 41. He gets a 58.4. Take those grades with you as, you, you know, a grain of salt. Some of these are so interpretive on run stuff. But they ran for nine first downs, which is a good number. Right? The pass blocking stuff for Pierre Strong stands out. You want to know why he's not playing more. He really is not very good in that in that phase of uh phase of the game they trust Jerome Ford and obviously Kareem Hunt the most trustworthy of those guys so I thought a pretty good running back day and a really good usage committee snap count number stuff was good so all right so pass block reps let's make sure we get some of this stuff organized so we're, we're not 
uh, off here. I had Ethan Postage as one of the better pass block players in this game. I thought he did a good job throughout. I thought Jed had one of his better pass blocking days, even though he gave up a sack late in that final sort of crazy frenetic end of the game situation. Uh, Betonio had uh, a couple pressures he allowed. Postage allowed three. Jed allowed three. Uh, Wyatt Teller allowed three as well. He gets. Uh, I, I thought Teller just continues to be an enigma as a pass protector. He's he's gotten worse there. And then this was the worst Dewan Jones Jones game we've seen. He gave up two pressures. He gave up a sack on a third down. He grades below fifty in every category. So I do agree with that. I just thought he looked sort of slow and lethargic. I think that there's an injury involved with the shoulder. We haven't heard an update on that, but he didn't look like himself. He wasn't playing with a ton of aggression either so true pass sets the only guy with a strong grade was Jed who allowed one hurry and gets a 75.2 postage gets a 63.3 um let's see here Hudson gets a 53.8 when he was on the field but Betonio Dewan Jones and Wyatt Teller all grade below 50 giving up five pressures between the three of them so again not good enough for what you're expecting your offensive line and especially the two guards who you're paying handsomely and are just not quite getting it done, all right? Run blocking, Njoku had a fantastic game on his eight run blocks, 77.4. I thought that was fitting. Postage was stellar. He gets a 71.3. Teller, again, in the run game phase is fine. Thought he was good. But down at the bottom, Jed Wills and Dewan Jones, I thought neither tackle was dominant in the way that they needed them to be with some of those backside cutoffs and frontside double teams. And, again, they were able to run the ball fine, right? But... They could have been better, in my opinion. Both of those guys, um, 50.4, sorry, a 57.7, and a Dewan Jones, 43.4. Dewan just, again, too passive for my liking. But that's the offense. That's the data. It's bleak until the quarterback play gets better. It was good enough to win if they could have hit a couple throws. Could have gotten into the 26-point range. Could have won that game. Switching over to defense now, um, you know, kind of going through the first quarter was such a difference in the first quarter and last drive felt so much different than the the big chunk of the second third and fourth quarter here the Browns played the second most cover one you know uh, man any shape of man right two man cover zero cover one played 31 snaps of that which was the second most in the NFL this week only the Giants played more so they continue to be hyper aggressive they played 20 snaps of cover three four snaps of cover two and one snap of cover six so 55 Seattle snaps, not many because the Browns are getting them off the field so often and the offense was staying on the field. That's your split. Something interesting I found is the Browns just don't play quarters and they're really unique in that way. There's only So they've only played one snap of registered quarters this year. Now this could be an imperfect science because the people charting this stuff might, you know, the Browns might be calling a quarters, you know, with an adjustment paired in, whatever, whatever, and they might miss that, right? So, um... I, again, they're, they're just not playing quarters, though, and that's unique. Pittsburgh is the only other team that plays a, a, a low number of them through eight weeks, only 10. But then the next closest team is 23. So, like, the Browns are unique in the sense that they play so much man and they really don't play quarters, which is a very popular usage concept in the NFL these days. So, the game, like I said, it continued in this one. You didn't see any quarters in this one at all. They have um, five snaps in bases against three or two tight ends from Seattle in this one, 49 in nickel, which is what they live in. Now, a little bit of that stuff was hampered when Greg Newsom went out, 
Cam Mitchell came in. Maybe that changes some of their six six DB usage. They played some six DB stuff at the end of the first half to try to get a stop in a heavy predictable pass situation where Seattle's pushing the football down the field in the hurry up. And then they played it one snap coming out of halftime. So they only played it six snaps of of dime. You know, the interesting thing you're charting is that Seattle in this game had a .10 EPA per dropback versus man, which was 18th against cover three. They had a .05, negative .05, which was 15th. And those are the two main usages. And the Browns, again, this is where they go wrong. Cover two, cover six. Think cover two, think the big play up the sideline to Noah Fant late in the game. They give up a .26 EPA per dropback, which was 10th best in the NFL for Seattle this week against that coverage look. So for the year, the Browns have the 7th best um, passer rating against when playing man. They have the third best cover three passer rating against when playing cover three. When playing cover two or cover six, they're 27th in the NFL in passer rating against. So there's a real weakness here. Now, again, they only played five snaps of it, but they played it in some of the most important moments of the game and led them to, you know, the the 27-yard Noah Fant catch and run it's something that needs to be monitored is the usage of these coverages and going away from what they're best at and putting themselves in some vulnerable spots because, again, like you're looking at the, the data this year, we'll tell you the Browns have only had like 40 snaps in it, but they're giving up chunk plays when playing variations of cover two and cover six. You can't just play cover three and cover one. You can't live in that. You need to be able to play quarters or this variations of two and six, but they are they're clearly it's just interesting because you know cover six is half field cover two half field quarters so if they're not a quarters in general secondary as a whole it's interesting that they use a variation of that at times in a hybrid coverage right so again something to think about maurice hurst had a stellar game he gets your best overall grade in 25 snaps 92.4 had a pressure a hurry a, a batted ball interception had a stop play tfl in the backfield he was stellar he continues to be just a remarkable revelation in return to form pickup for the Browns this year. Miles Garrett's second highest overall grade, 78.7, five pressures, including a key sack, and then three stop tackles as well. Grant Delpit uh, and, and Martin Emerson are your next two highest. JOK is 69.5. And then uh, Greg Newsom and then Jordan Elliott, who I thought had a pretty good game at the bottom. You get Zadarius Smith with his worst recorded game as a Brown, but he had five total tackle or five total pressures. Sorry, so the run game stuff and some missed tackles hurt him. Alex Wright also down there in the low grades. Taki Taki, Tony Fields, Dalvin Tomlinson, Anthony Walker. I did not think it was a very good non JOK linebacker day. Just sort of slow and a beat behind a lot of things. Run defense marks, JOK, Rodney McLeod, Juan Thornhill, Sione Takitaki are your top players. Maurice Hurst and Miles Garrett also in there. I think those are fitting. JOK had two stop tackles. McLeod had one. Hurst had one. Three total tackles for Thornhill. So those are stellar scores. Tomlinson with the 44.5. Okoronko a 29.7. Zadaria Smith a 28.9. And Anthony Walker kind of round out the bottom grades there. Um, a lot of you know, labeling out of position. The Browns gave up some chunk runs and again, giving up these explosives where they're up at like 11 explosive plays in the last two weeks. They have these runs where they're not getting a close down on the backside to fit the run. The run fits have to be cleaned up 
They're giving up too many chunk runs, right? That has to be that has to get better. And I think those grades are reflecting of that. So Geno Smith in this one, from an opposing quarterback perspective, the Browns blitzed him on 12 dropbacks. He was six of 11 for 81 yards, a pick and a touchdown. Um, the pick being the Mo Hurst interception, which was well done. Could have been another one on the Cam Mitchell play. I didn't think Geno played very well in this. His grade of 57.4 reflects it. I thought he was hindering them at times, missing players he should have hit. When he was kept clean, he was 12 of 19, 141, a touchdown and interception. Under pressure, he was um, 11 of 18, which is where a place he struggled. 113 yards, a touchdown, a pick. And when he was not blitzed, 17 of 26, 173 and a touchdown. His highest grade comes in play action where he was 5 of 6 for 47 yards. So he gets a 67.8 there. Non-play action, 18 of 31, 207, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Both of those included his big-time throws, which were two, and turnover-worthy plays, which were two as well. His deep throws, 2 of 4, his highest grade, 55 yards a touchdown. I think the throw to DK up the left sideline, right? Um, medium, 10 to 19, he was 1 of 7 for 17 yards. So if it wasn't short... Or deep, you know, that zero to nine. And he also had those bubble screens. He had the bubble screen touchdown. He had another uh, uh, more of a tunnel screen to JSN in the first half. He got 56 cheap yards, including a touchdown. Like I said, the JSN touchdown on the last play for them off of those screens. So catch him in the blitz at the right time. That's what you get. Continuing on the defensive grade side uh, as far as pass, uh, sorry, pass rush. Let make sure I get that right. Okoronko has a 77.56 pressures. I thought he was really good in this one on the pass rush side. True pass rush sets. He had four pressures. Miles had three pressures in the sack. Those are your top two highest. Hurst, a 66.8, including a pressure. 61.1 for Zadarius with five. Tomlinson with three with a 57.5. And everybody kind of hovered above 50. So pretty average to above average. And then a couple pretty good games from some players. I thought their pressure stuff was good. They had... 23 total pressures of the quarterback. So I thought they got after Geno in in a way. Now, Geno got out of some of those, but they got after him in a way that I thought was really respectable to disrupt him and make him uncomfortable paired with the man coverage, right? So coverage grades, uh, Emerson with his interception, he allows 5 of 11, 66 yards. I thought he battled DK Metcalf really well. You know, Metcalf had like 13 targets and only had four catches or something of that nature. So Emerson continues to be a really stellar player including the interception where he does a great job jumping an out route on that two minute drive Delpit also does well in coverage I mean I mean Emerson to be targeted 11 times is wild um as far as other corners um, Denzel gets uh targeted nine times gives up six catches 83 I thought there were a couple miscommunications that hurt them both in zone and man those are highlighted on chalk talk if you want to go watch the defensive portion of that so Denzel gets a pass breakup I thought he was fine I thought he was fine, but there's just some communication stuff they still have to clean up, especially stuff on the fly. Newsom gets a 61.7. He gives up on three targets, two catches, 25, and a touchdown there uh, on a scramble drill late. He's responsible for the locket touchdown. And then uh, keeping it moving forward here, uh, they give Juan Thornhill the touchdown on the on the bubble screen. He's Although he's maintaining inside leverage and his corner is supposed to Maintain outside leverage, but he was held. I mean, that was a blatantly obvious DK Metcalf hold. I don't know how they didn't call that. He's, his arms are outside, holding the shoulder pad. Pretty bizarre to not throw that flag. But that's where the other touchdowns are credited to. In the middle, like 
JOK, Cam Mitchell, Miles Garrett, because Miles dropped into coverage a couple times. Hurst only gets a 60. That's wild to me. He dropped in coverage one time, gets an interception and a tip pass, and he gets a 60 grade. Like, okay. I think that's pretty exceptional in pass coverage. At the bottom, Taki Taki and Tony Fields get poor grades. I thought Taki Taki was beat on that rail route, got lucky the ball was underthrown, right? He also has two missed tackles and pass play tackling. Fields had one missed tackle. Denzel had one missed tackle as well. So those play into it. And then lastly, special teams on the way out the door here. Matt Adams is your core group again. Matt Adams, Mike Ford, Cam Mitchell, DeAnthony Bell. Adams gets the best grade of 74.2. Thornhill, 67.9 and five reps, 66.9 for JOK. At the bottom, Cam Mitchell, Diabate, Charlie Hewlett, Rodney McLeod. I thought specials were fine. I thought they punted it pretty well. Right, I thought they handled that stuff. Uh, the kicking game was clean, even though there weren't any really challenging kicks. Bjorquez punts three times for a 47.3 average, a 41.7 net. Two of the three down inside the 20. Right, so fair catch one time. He was good. He was fine. Right, and then field goals for Bjorquez. He was two of two extra points, two of two on chip shot, 20 to 29 yard field goals. That really, in retrospect, we needed the Browns to uh, be able to punch those in the end zone. So kickoff returns, you get one for 15 yards. Anytime they can fair catch it, they should just fair catch it. I don't really know why they won't do it. Just fair catch it. It's a new rule to give you the 25. Just do it. Elijah Moore was back for two punt returns. He, had not, and he, get, he got you 23 yards, so that was encouraging. They put Donovan back later. He had one for seven. I think either Moore or whoever else is more capable. Donovan's just not handling that rule the way I thought he would uptick this year. So a bit of a bummer. A lot of information. That's your comprehensive breakdown. 24-20 loss. It's a tough loss. A lot to learn. Browns have to get better on the defensive script where they're not getting beat up in the first quarter with the way we've seen them the last two weeks give up 31 points in the first quarter. And then we also need to obviously see them clean up the quarterback play. The turnovers. 17 turnovers through these eight weeks of play. And, and P.J. Walker giving up his fair share. DTR giving up his fair share. It's been... It's been four straight games of poor quarterback play and turning the football over a ton. We'll see what they do this week. There's a lot to learn in the next three or four days about plans for this week in a very winnable game. We hear the Cardinals are um, you know, promoting either Clayton Toon or uh, Kyler Murray will be back, so we will not see Josh Dobbs, and probably wise because the Browns know him better than anybody else and he hasn't been playing very well of late. So... Won't see him. Tomorrow's the trade deadline. You're listening to this. Perhaps it's right up close to the trade deadline, so a lot of things could happen. We'll have it all covered for you here at the OBR Film Breakdown with your next few days of podcasts covering the end of this game and then looking forward to the rest of the NFL slate in the weekend ahead. So thanks for stopping by. Appreciate you being here. We will catch you tomorrow with a new podcast where we get some more quotes, we get some more coverage, we get some more knowledge from the game, from re-watching it. Until then, you guys be well. We'll check you in again on Wednesday. Go Browns.